gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of 28 Days Later. I'm your host, Sophie, and you may be wondering why I didn't immediately introduce our normal co-host, Hannah, but this is yet another very special episode during summer break and quarantine. Hannah was not able to record with me this week, and so instead, I have tapped my horror twin, Evan. Hello, Evan. Welcome to the show. Hi, twin. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm great and so excited to have you on the pod. Oh, thank you so much. I, this is so exciting. I love your show. Um, Hannah, hello. I hope to meet you someday soon. Um, <laughs> but it's just super exciting to be here, especially talking about some spooky movie. Yeah, so listeners of the podcast know that Hannah does not fuck with ghosts and like she doesn't do paranormal stuff. So as soon as I knew she wasn't going to join this week, I was like, all right, I got to find someone who can talk horror movies with me, who will watch a scary, like, ghost movie, because Hannah will not do that. Um, So we'll get into what we're talking about in a minute. I did up top want to plug real quick. I was on a podcast of a friend of ours last week, uh, a friend of ours, Evan, and also a friend of the podcast. Uh, The pod I was on is Thor's Hour of Thunder, hosted by dear friend of the pod, Danny, uh, also known as Thor, on the internet. And... He had me on his show. I've been on a few times, and I was actually on two years ago to cover a movie that I think, Evan, you and I both really appreciate, uh, which is Wes Craven's 2005 film, Cursed. Oh, it's the best. So good. (laughs) So good. Um, I love that movie. I feel like I didn't realize that there are a lot of people who don't like it. Um, I picked it when I was going to be on Thor's podcast two years ago uh, in the spooky month. And I was like, I love this movie. I feel like it is just a completely bananas, um, like, young adult slasher from the mid-2000s that is such a time capsule. And it stars uh, my one and only true love, sorry, Jeremy, Joshua Jackson. Um, (laughs) So, like, what's not to love, right? It's great. And I learned when covering it on the podcast a couple years ago that a lot of people don't like that movie and think it's trash and that it also went through a lot of production troubles and um while I can respect those opinions and the fact that it's maybe not the original uh it didn't end up the way they originally intended I still really love that movie oh yeah I mean I could go on and on um (laughs) about that movie I'll just I'll just say that I completely agree with you I I didn't realize that people had such a negative view of it um until like after a couple years after it come out because I just didn't really look into it at the time, I was like, oh, I like this. This is good. And then, you know, obviously Joshua Jackson, I'm there with you on everything. Um, always <laughs> been a big Dawson's Creek stan. Uh, so it's I, I'll kind of do whatever he does. I'll watch it and be excited about it. But anyway, um, but, you know, I get it. Like you said, there's things that um, within the horror world that not everyone's going to agree on or going to think is great. There are movies that people think are amazing that I don't particularly enjoy. Um, Hard same, yeah. You know, so it's um, it's, even from Wes Craven, there's stuff that he's done that I'm like, eh, it's not really my thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think that's awesome that you chose that. And the more people can hear opinions about why it's enjoyable, I think the better it will be. Yeah, and it was funny because um, I have seen that movie so many times and re-watching it uh, this past week for that podcast. I was like, oh, wow, this movie is very much Kevin Williamson just being like, let's remake Lost Boys, but with werewolves in the 2000s. Like, the yep. the homages to Lost Boys I actually uh, really, really loved. Um, 
And so if you want to hear me talk about that more in depth, you can go over to Thor's podcast. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, so just to be clear, I covered that movie on his podcast two years ago, and we did another episode this past <laughs> week covering Curse again because a, a friend of his wanted to talk about Curse. So there are two episodes on Curse if you uh, if you so desire them. Double um, the fun. I'm down. Yeah, exactly. But that's not what we're talking about this week, Evan. So I came to you and said... I want to do something with ghosts. Hit me. So why don't you tell us about the movie you picked? <laughs> well, I'll say this really quick. So Sophie gave me the amazing option of like, hey, let's do any ghost movie. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, OK, what should we do? And for some reason, the only movie I could think of that existed that was a ghost movie was The Others starring the one and only Nicole Kidman. I don't know why that was. And then I was like, okay, let's do this. Because I remember liking it when I saw it. I don't think I've seen it since it came out in theaters. And so I was like, this will be a good return. I want to kind of see. I remember sort of like the big twist of the film and sort of what everything hinges on. But Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay. But then looking at lists of ghost movies, I was like, man, I could have picked like so many other interesting ones but still there's still a lot of interesting things to talk about here so um. Uh, i'm so glad you said that because full disclosure the reason that i was like what do you want to pick is because i think that you and i are both uh self-identified and card carrying like legit horror fans but i was like what's a ghost movie like i couldn't think of any no, it's this, it's the thing. You know what it is too. Uh, to defend both of us, I think it's sort of like possession films. There are so many that, like, mm-hmm. for someone to ask me, like, "Hey, what's a really good one?" I'm like, "Uh, gosh, it depends on what you like." Like, totally. There's seamless. Sla- I mean, really, every genre, subgenre in horror, like every slasher. I'm like, well, depends on what you're looking for. Like, do you want a really awesome, strong female lead, and it's really about that, or do you want like people dropping bodies because that's a completely different thing, or do you totally. want just like some really gross rob zombie stuff like that's obviously its own league so and like if you do want that like maybe go to therapy <laughs> yeah exactly if you're looking for that i've been well stated on this podcast that i don't like anything rob zombie does. <laughs> and i say um, it on every podcast i go on even if uh, it's not related to horror movies just be like hey i know that i'm on here to talk about like healthcare, but i also need to let you know that yes, the biggest of blight- healthcare, we don't support mental health and you really need to go to a therapist if you like rob zombie <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, no i'm super glad you picked this movie i um it was funny because when you first suggested it i was like you know what the others is really good but it's like gothic and kind of beautiful so like hannah could probably handle it it's not that scary and then when i was watching it i was like just kidding this movie is super scary yeah I <laughs> like, was like she oh, would wow. not she would not be into it um so i'm gonna put you on the spot here evan do you want to give us a brief plot synopsis for the others i will definitely try it's going to be filled with a lot of uh, ums and hmm and things like that so we're just all about setting us, that, that on the show you're fine love it all right so essentially the story of the others is a mother and her two children the mother is played by nicole kidman i don't know the actors names of the two kids but nicholas and anna are their names I'm so cool for remembering that. Um, anyway. You are so, very cool for remembering that. I was about I, to pull only, it up if you needed help, but you've got Only it. because I think they say their names about a million times each, but that's, <laughs> so hopefully I would remember that. Um, and as a teacher, I probably should know kids' names when I when I see them. Um, anywho, so they live in this giant house. This is, um, let's see, this is post, this is post-World War II Nazi Germany. So, um they're living in this house. The father went to war. He never came back. So we assume that he passed away in the war. 
Um, and so basically the way the, the story goes is these three, I guess, like servants show up at the house and say, you know, we'd like to work here. We saw your advertisement. Um, and so, you know, Nicole's like, great, come on in. And so she starts to explain all these rules. She has all these keys. Uh, all the doors must be locked once you enter a room um, and all the blinds must be closed because the children have um, a disease that can harm them if they're exposed to sunlight. So um, a lot of, so that's sort of that part. And then there's a whole thing about the daughter has a lot of conversations with what she calls, she doesn't directly call them ghosts, but she just refers to people that, we assume as an audience are going to be ghosts and she mm -hmm. kind of messes with her brother on that and he gets freaked out and then the mom is very religious and very much is like you need to get these ideas out of your head don't share them in the house and she punishes her for them in different ways um and then we kind of get to know the servants a little bit more and we learn that they actually used to work there and uh you know a lot of other spooky things happen do you want me to like say what happens or is that like a good setup let's that's perfect we'll leave the twist for now but okay. if you have made it this far in the episode and you haven't seen the others i would just go watch it now like it yeah. is a, a really really beautifully made horror movie that um that we're definitely going to spoil as we go so for sure fair warning that was a great uh synopsis uh oh, thanks <laughs> The only thing I will clarify, but I only knew this because I re-listened to the Switchblade Sisters episode for the others yesterday, was that it's actually set on a like barrier island off of England oh. that was the only island that was ever occupied by the Nazis. It's the only part of England that was occupied by the Nazis during the war. Interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, they, they, they don't... I mean, they probably do drop in there like that information, but I'm not the best with any sort of historical or yeah, uh, geographical information. So right, they reference it like super. They basically, I think the only thing we get about that is that at some point, like clearly the clearly Nicole Kidman and her children are British, so we like we can maybe assume that it's in Britain. And there's a line where she says her husband. Uh, spoiler when her husband comes back says something about like the the occupation and she's like something like we held out as long as we could but like what were we supposed to do so mm -hmm. i wouldn't have known except that they mention it on the switchblade sisters episode they were well, like so this know. is where it's set and like the historical context of it um which i think is is sort of interesting one thing i was really struck by as i rewatched this movie was like how how much for a for a movie that mostly centers female characters there's nothing especially um gendered about it does that make sense like obviously nicole kidman is a mom and we have like female servant characters and a son and a daughter but i think the daughter sort of is like a more prominent character um but especially as we go forward like all of those characters are allowed to be really flawed and confusing in a way that i feel like we don't always see especially in horror with like women being portrayed in film yeah no that's that's true i was i felt the same from the movie because you know you kind of go into uh, some horror movies because a lot of horror movies actually do star a female that is a mother you know mm -hmm. like a mother character whether mm -hmm. or not they start as a mother they become sort of a mother figure even something like aliens um with ripley and uh, newt and so um i was kind of looking for that but like obviously you know there's love between mother and child and 
things like that. But really, like when it comes to the husband showing back up and those kinds of topics around their relationship, there's not really a lot about like, oh, I was so powerless without you and Mm -hmm. you finally came back. And now like the kids have their father figure again. And that's what's important. And, And there's also just like maybe this is going a little too out of realm a little bit. But I was also pleasantly surprised and thought it was cool that you know they have uh her and her husband you know um have sex and it's not like played up like um i don't know it's not played up like she's this uptight person who needs you know a good screw you know like how a lot of you know a lot of movies try to do that it just it's like you can understand where she's coming from even though she is uptight you can understand like who she is as a person and then this is just her moment of like i get to enjoy this and this is like this is something that i want and then Mm -hmm. um you know and you can and so then you sort of feel the pain that she feels the next day when he does leave if that makes sense right no absolutely i as we're sort of discussing her character in particular what it really reminds me of and i'm thinking like the others was so ahead of its time if this is what it reminds me of is it really reminds me of the relationship that is drawn between Essie Davis and her son in The Babadook, Mm. where, like, there are scenes in The Others where Nicole Kidman, like, she's not a super, um, like, uh, she's not loving in a demonstrative way, and she can be really cold. I mean, when when you alluded to in your um, synopsis that, like, Anne... Uh, the daughter keeps talking to this child, Victor, and seeing other people that no one else can see. Um, and because of Nicole Kidman's Catholicism, she's like very upset about it and is very, very against having any mention of that. And what she does to punish her daughter is she makes her read the entirety of the Bible in three days. Like, that is such an extreme punishment. Oh, yeah, it's um, nuts. And, but I love that, she, and like, I think we may honestly have to spoil the movie now because I feel like there's no good way to talk about her character without spoiling it. Um, Mm. Because what we ultimately learn is that Nicole Kidman and her children are ghosts, as are the three sort of servants that have come to live at the house. The three servants have sort of showed up to help them, help Nicole Kidman and her kids like understand that they're dead and help them sort of like transition into knowing that sometimes there are going to be people in the house, sometimes we'll sense them, sometimes we won't, and we just have to kind of coexist. So the people that Anne are seeing are the people, the living people who live in the house now. Um, But even, so we learned that Nicole Kidman killed her children. But even when we learn that, like she is still a character that we empathize with and feel for even knowing that she was like this strict and difficult mother who ultimately murdered, you know, went mad according to her kids and and killed them. And we still end the movie having empathy for her, which I think is really amazing, especially considering when this movie came out. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I completely agree with you. I was definitely having sort of Babadook parallels in my mind. Um, in in that movie, so very much talks about uh at least in subtext about postpartum depression Mm -hmm. and i feel like this movie gives a really interesting view i I was really interested in the religion side of everything because Mm -hmm. like you said she is so it's so clear to us that she's so wrapped up in the the legalities of her religion of catholicism so it's like she doesn't really have a relationship 
with her creator um, as as a as a rela- religion would ask you to have. Um, but most religions really do tend to lean on the side of legalities. And mm-hmm. so you can really see kind of the damage of that because we ultimately do learn that she does kill her children. And I'm not saying, you know, religion did that. But I also think that there is some nice commentary going on of like, we believe as a viewer that this is going to be a story where it's this, you know, Catholic family that follows the law and is just very strict and rigid and does everything right is being terrorized by ghosts in their home. But Mm -hmm. what we learn is that essentially they are the ghosts and what helps them come to realize that is something that if they, there's a, there's a scene where at the end um, the people that they believe were ghosts are actually the people alive in the present time and they're having like a seance to contact uh, Nicole and her kids. And, you know, that's something that, you know, a, a Catholic or a Christian would look at and think, oh, this is satanic. This is evil. Um, but really, that's one of the that's actually the, the the ritual that gets them to really realize that they are the thing that they didn't believe in. If that may, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm explaining that right. But no, absolutely. Yeah. It, it feels very much like the the sort of this is never explicitly stated in the movie but it feels like some of the subtext and especially when you're looking at the historical context of this movie is during world war one you had all of these and world war two you had all these men who left and women were just at home alone trying to run the entire house and take care of kids and do whatever else and i think we can see from the beginning that nicole character's or Nicole Kidman's character is under so much strain trying to like manage the house and take care of the kids. And it feels like she hangs on to her Catholicism and all of the rules of her Catholicism and the rules in the house so tightly because like she needs those things to provide structure and feel like what she's doing has meaning. Um, And so she, you know, there's this really beautiful uh, sequence at the end where once they all learn they're dead and the kids are sort of asking like so where are we because she has earlier in the movie sort of made them talk about how kids who lie go to limbo and there's these four four different hells for different people um and she's holding them and she just says i don't know if there's a limbo limbo i'm no wiser than you um which is just like such a beautiful and really heartbreaking sequence where she has to acknowledge that like even though she's the parent and for this entire movie she's been trying to sort of hold things together and keep things running she doesn't have any of the answers that she thought she had they they aren't helpful anymore absolutely Um, yeah and i did read and i thought this was really interesting that the writer director of this movie uh sort of was inspired to write this story based on he went to Catholic school and found it really oppressive and is agnostic now and sort of wrote this movie and wrote this story out of the out of his own experience of growing up in this setting where it was like there are these rigid rules that you have to follow and understand and then getting into a bigger world where those things don't always sort of like you said when when a religious practice comes down to following the rules rather than sort of understanding the broader meaning like eventually those rules will lose traction because the world is bigger and more complicated than that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's, that's amazing. I didn't know that. And, you know, I'll, I'll say on a personal note, like I'm, I'm, I was raised in the Christian church my whole life. And then, um, I kind of had to have some time, a couple years of my life where I was really contemplating, like, do I believe that 
these things are real because I was I saw so many hypocrisies and you know Mm -hmm. people acting like they weren't supposed to act in the way I was taught and and then of course you know my own sexuality of being gay was very difficult for me to tackle because it was all I had been told was that it was wrong and evil and it was Mm -hmm. my choice and it wasn't what I was born with and all these things because I was being thrown the legal side of everything Um, and then I really looked into like well what is what is religion what is who is God what is what is Christianity and that's where I was able to find my relationship with Jesus Mm -hmm. and not so much the legal side of it. And that's, you know, not to get too big, but like I see a lot of that right now and just the way that our country is uh, going. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a big argument right now between Christians too of, you know, this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus wants. And you're not doing that. Like you're being completely um, legalistic and you're, you're basically shutting down any, any chance that you're ever going to, you know, show what love really is. Um, And so um, this movie, I just really spoke to me in that way because I could see Nicole just really trying to, you know, like you said, you know, we learned that she killed her kids and she, then when she didn't realize they were dead, she heard them laughing and playing with the pillow that she used to smother them. And she thought, Oh, this was a blessing from God. Like everything's okay. Mm -hmm. So she just kind of goes back to her routine because I think that was her thing in her mind to say, you're doing everything right. Continue to do the legalistic things and you will be rewarded. Um, And what, what she ultimately learns though, in the end is that it comes down to really loving her children because her daughter is framed as that kind of stereotypical, like, oh, she's the spooky one who's going to mm-hmm. be evil and is going to do all these things. But ultimately, it's really a story about a mother and her daughter and their connection of this daughter is reaching out to see the kind of spiritual sympathetic side of things. And her mother is so staunchly on the legalistic side, so much so that she almost harms her daughter again to right. to prove a point. And then ultimately she learns what I, what I need more in my life is my daughter and that relationship and the love that we have for one another. And I feel like it's kind of a beautiful way to portray um, how easily people can forget that we're dealing with human beings that need to be loved and looked at in different lenses because everyone's different. Everyone's born different, has different stories, has different needs and assets. And um, I feel like just that moment at the end where she's sitting there and or when sort of at the end before they really realize that that everything the daughter embraces her mom and you can see nicole is like kind of surprised because they've had so much discord and she just looks so relieved of like anything that happens right now is fine as long as i'm going out knowing that my kids love me and i love them and i just thought that was really beautiful yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up your um, your own sort of relationship to faith. Hannah and I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but we, we both grew up um, in the Episcopal Church, but we're sort of raised in a much more, I think, like liberal and open tradition than a lot of people our age. Like I've had mm-hmm. a lot of conversations with people our age that have sort of had the experience you had where they grew up either in a church or tangentially related to a church that was like very harmful and sort of hypocritical. Um, and so uh, to this is like a peek behind the curtain for the listeners, but Evan and I talked earlier this week and we're sort of discussing the idea that like, uh, if anyone were going to be wearing a mask right now, it would be Jesus. So yes. Like, right. Please just put your mask on. Oh my God. Um, but also in like... 
a, a read that I have never had of this movie. So I first saw this movie probably when I was in high school. So it had been out for a couple years at that point. Um, and I remember watching it on DVD with my boyfriend at the time when I was first getting into horror movies and I fell asleep and missed most of the middle section of the movie, but I woke up and saw the ending. So I was like, okay, well I already know the twist. So there's no point in watching it. <laughs> um, and I didn't watch it for the first time until maybe two or three years ago. And I was so blown away and sort of, uh, kicked myself for not watching it earlier. So again, I'll, I will reiterate if you haven't seen this movie, even if you know the twist, it's really worth watching. It's such a beautifully constructed movie. Um, but watching it now, this was clearly not an intended thing that the movie was trying to say. But in light of the kind of national conversations that are going on in America right now, sort of about Black Lives Matter and immigrants um, and taking down statues of that like venerate Confederate assholes. Um, yeah. I kept just being struck by how much it felt like Nicole Kidman and her kids for me in this particular viewing sort of like represented a certain segment of like white American people that are like, this is our home and nobody else belongs here. And it was such watching it that way. It was so beautiful to have Mrs. Mills sort of be like, Hey, this actually isn't your house. Like people lived here before you, people will live here after you. And you just kind of have to like learn to coexist with the other people because the whole movie they talk about the intruders like thinking that the people that Anne sees are intruders when in fact like they're not they're just people who like rightfully are living in that space right now um and I was like wow I I'm sure that they didn't intend that message at all when they made this movie but that's what like came out to me very strongly watching it right now was sort of like, this would be a good lesson for a lot of white America to learn. That like, we didn't, we didn't, we were not here first. We are, we will not be here last. And you just have to kind of like peacefully coexist with everyone else and not be a dick. Cause like, yeah. you don't have any ownership over the space. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a really good, that's a really good reading of that. I can totally see that. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing how much. You know, and, you know, everyone likes to have the argument of like, well, that's not the author's intent. And so therefore you shouldn't have that reading. But, you know, I, I think that art is always should be should, subjective and it really is subjective where you can really find different readings depending on the type of lens you're living in at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, like you said, like that the world we live in right now, those are things we look for um, and we should be looking for. And so, yeah, that's definitely that kind of language of like, this is ours, you can't have it, you know, blah, 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 blah. That definitely feels very much like an old guard kind of way of thinking that ultimately gets dismantled at the end of this film. Um, another thing that I was kind of struck by, there's a lot of little things throughout the movie that sort of play on that and then sort of the the examination of religion like there's so we have these scenes where nicole is making her kids read the bible like you said whether mm -hmm. it's a punishment or just as a lesson and of course is you know the bible is filled with stories that are very graphic um and really intense and you have to really have conversations about incest and things like that which mm -hmm. i you know a lot of christians will act like you don't but that's that's in there so you kind of have to um but anyway so they're reading these things about people getting their heads cut off and it's just very like morbid and dark and everything. And then she goes and she starts looking at those photos that she finds in the house that are of people that passed. 
And there are those really like creepy ones where the person's dead and they're propped up to be taken a photo of, you know, like that mm-hmm. is really creepy on its own. But the way she reacts to it and the way that Mrs. Mills is like, you know, explaining what they are. And Nicole's just like, oh, it's macabre. And it's to me, that's interesting because it's just like here she's completely fine with all of these other things. But then when it comes to this, it's like, oh, right. this is this is disgusting. And it's like you're essentially doing the same thing to your children with the kind of rhetoric that you're putting into their head. But when it comes to this, you're like, this is the step too far. You know, that it's just like, mm-hmm. where is your, where does your acceptance begin and your hypocrisy end? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, that I, yes, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, there were a lot of parts of this movie that reminded me of movies that came either before or after it. Um, so obviously, uh, I mean, maybe not obviously if you haven't seen it, but The Others is absolutely a gothic horror film. Um, And when I was listening to the episode of Switchblade Sisters about this movie, which it's actually one of the first episodes of the podcast, and if Hannah were here, she would give me shit for plugging that pod. I I talk about Switchblade Sisters almost every episode (laughs) That's how I found them was because of you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm so honored. That show is, like, my favorite. So... The guest on that episode is Anne Hamilton, who directed a movie called American Fable, which she sort of describes as like a a modern, like American Gothic or Midwest Gothic. And so she defines Gothic in that episode as um, what Gothic means is that it gets into your psyche. It's something that you might dream about, which I think is like such a beautiful representation. I think a lot of times we think of Gothic movies as specifically being set uh, in like a big house and it's a period piece. But, you know, uh, Rosemary's Baby is like a famous example of a gothic movie that's not historical um, and so you sort of get like it doesn't need to be set in the past it it has more to do with like what kind of issues are we trying to tackle mm-hmm. um, and so it reminded me a lot of we've talked about a couple gothic movies on this podcast that this movie reminded me of a lot one is uh, El Orfanato or The Orphanage the which I meant to ask you, Evan, have you seen that movie? I have, yeah. I, I actually just saw it for the first time three or four years ago, so I was a little bit later, but yeah, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I love that movie, and we talked in that episode about how much I like in ghost movies or possession movies where you have like the scene of a medium contacting the dead, and it's done in a lot of different ways. Um, so like in El Orfanato, you have the medium sort of walking around the house and trying to communicate with the children. This movie reminded me of that in that way, but the automatic writing sequence of the medium sort of like scribbling while she talked to the ghosts reminded me a lot of um, the changeling. That's like exactly the Mm. way the medium scene in the changeling works. Yeah. Um, Agreed. And obviously a lot of this in both setting and subject matter is very similar to the innocence, which Hannah and I covered, but one thing that like really struck me over and over again, Evan, and I'd be interested on your thoughts was there were so many parts in this movie where I was like, I wonder if Tony Collette watched the others in preparation for Hereditary. Oh <laughs> my god! There's gosh. a lot of points where like the, their performances or like the ethos of those characters feels very similar. <laughs> hmm, that's a really that's interesting. You know what? She might have because yeah, I can definitely see that now that you're saying that because it is like again a very very damaged but sympathetic character like Mm -hmm. in a way that you you might on paper 
if you said like this is the things that the person does without any context you'd think wow this person's terrible but then when you actually know what's going on you really understand where they're coming from Mm -hmm. um and yeah that's that's really true and yeah um hereditary is like to me is very gothic as well um even though it's not you know necessarily a gothic horror film it definitely like you said it's really about those topics that they have in there and um you know it helps that the house sort of feels like a very dark kind of dungeony place Mm -hmm. which is you know that's again setting is really important but also like it really just comes down to what are we talking about and um yeah, that's a really good point. I, de- I didn't think about that, but I can definitely see why you would get that reading. Yeah, and I think, like, that Hereditary and this movie and The Babadook, which we talked about, sort of returning to my earlier point, I think in society, we have this expectation that, like, motherhood is the ultimate job that a woman can have, and in order to be a good mom, you need to be a perfect mother all the time who is like always patient and caring and gentle. And I have a couple friends right now who are pregnant for the first time. And I've been having a lot of, I have not had children, but I've had a lot of conversations with both of those friends as well as other friends and family members who have had kids in the past couple of years about the ways that like the, the societal dialogue around pregnancy can be really harmful when you're pregnant because everyone talks about pregnancy like it's this beautiful gift that's really wonderful. And my friend is like, it is all those things. It is. But it's also miserable and super uncomfortable and really scary. And like, we don't talk about any of that stuff. Um, and I love that this movie allows Nicole Kidman to be a mother who is clearly struggling. She obviously loves her kids, but she's having a really hard time. And she does things that I think a lesser movie would vilify her for doing. Um, but she's sort of allowed to be an imperfect mother, which is really cool because we just don't see that very often in pop culture. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. I think that's why I love movies like this and like the Babadook because really like the monster or the evil thing is something that, like you were saying, like it's really something that society has said, this thing is very evil and mm-hmm. if it comes near you, you will live in a terror. Like, it'll be terrifying. So, like, something like the Babadook, it's very much about postpartum depression. And so you have this kind of creature that the whole movie is sort of haunting them. And then eventually she, the mother, becomes enraged and becomes sort of monstrous herself. But really it's like by the end of that movie, they have the this creature, like, living in their basement. And they feed it and they take care of it. And it's like sort of a nice way to view like this thing that I was told is going to destroy you. Um, and if you don't, if you don't think that pregnancy is the best thing ever that's ever happened to you, and you're not happy all the time, then there's something wrong with you and there's nothing you can do. Um, you just need to change your thinking, blah, blah, blah. And yet we have this outcome. Isn't her like destroying this creature or, and you know, like this bloody mess. It's just, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take care of this. I'm mm-hmm. going to have that conversation. I'm going to figure out a way to, to normalize the situation i'm going to give it a place to live and i'm going to feed it and i'm going to take care of this um sort of like you know when you have when we have conversations about postpartum depression and that a lot of women go through we should be saying things like this is okay this happens and mm-hmm. there are things we can do to make you feel better and to make you feel more like yourself you know right um as opposed to like 
here's snap out of it. Women should be really happy about it all the time. Like we're only going to show happy women because then it just makes you feel monstrous when you feel like you can't handle it or you feel anger towards your children or anything like that, you know? Yeah. Um, Well, I was just talking to my, to Hannah last week about how I have a really, really close friend who is pregnant for the first time right now. And she told me pretty quickly after she found out and she sort of said something to me about how, like it's really early enough that I probably shouldn't be telling you, but I really wanted to tell you. And it, I am a 30 year old woman who considers myself to be like pretty, uh, pretty well educated or like constantly trying to educate myself on issues around gender. And the idea that it had never occurred to me that like, as a culture, we have decided that if a woman gets pregnant, she shouldn't tell anyone outside of a very small circle until she's past the window where she might have a miscarriage Mm. where it's like, what does that do then to people who have a miscarriage and no one, none of your loved ones even knew you were pregnant. Like that is such a horrible, like the expectation that women and their partners, but largely women will carry that, that pain alone because it's too uncomfortable for other people is just like really upsetting. And it's something that I had not ever like it had never occurred to me that's why I, I was like, oh, of course they don't say anything because they might have a miscarriage. And then I was like, wait, wait, I take for granted that's like a normal thing, but that's so upsetting. Absolutely. I mean, and women are asked to do that all the time in society. Mm-hmm. Like this thing that can happen to you, you should just like a, a woman on her period. It's like, no, you know, make sure no one knows. Make sure right. no one you don't you, you don't get time off of work, even though like a lot of the symptoms of that can be debilitating it's treated like, well, just take care of it. And then, you know, go to the bathroom and come back. Like you don't, we don't, you don't need to be out of the, out of work for the day. Nothing Mm -hmm. like that. It's like, you don't understand (laughs) like that. That's so much power that they're lording over women that, and so much pressure for them and pain that they have to deal with. Even like, even rape is, is like that where it's just like, we don't want to hear about it, you know? So like, keep it to yourself. It's like, that's so disgusting that I, um, and I realized I should have said trigger warning too, before I said that. Um, but it was, I apologize. That was just one of the first things that came to my mind on this topic. No, I really, I appreciate that you bring that up. I remember a couple of years ago, if I can find the article, I will link to it in the show notes. But I remember when I was in graduate school, um, my partner and I were living in Delaware where I grew up. We were living in an apartment, um, at my parents' house. So we didn't really see them. We didn't spend a lot of time with them, but we would go out to dinner with my parents once a week. And I remember coming home from dinner one week and my dad shared an article with my partner and I about a woman who had been at work and she was on her period. And so she had like a hot pad, a hot water bottle in her, in her lap, in her cubicle while she was working, just like minding her own business. And a co a male coworker asked her what was wrong. And she's like, I'm not really feeling well. And he was kind of prying. So she was like, I'm on my period. I just have kind of bad, I have really bad cramps when I'm on my period. So I'm just like having this hot water bottle. And he reported her to HR because it made him uncomfortable. (laughs) And she was required to take sick leave and go home and not come home or not come back to work until her period was over. But like she had to use her own like unpaid sick leave. Gosh. Because a male coworker who pried was uncomfortable. Like, again, to your point, it's just like the sort of things that women are expected to sort of like handle quietly and not talk about or expect any support over um 
And that's like one of the things that I never experienced watching this movie, but appreciated so much this time was how much we are made to care for Nicole Kidman, even though a lot of what she's doing is not very sympathetic. Like she's not nice to the staff. She's not particularly nice to her kids. Um, but you can tell that like she is really, really struggling and she's not doing any of this out of malice. She's just really, really overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that it, it really changes your lens because the father isn't there. I think mm-hmm. if the dad was around more, you would, there would be a lot more things that they would have to play up and, and mm-hmm. really answer questions for. But even himself, when we find him, like when she finds him, she's wandering kind of lost in the woods and he is the same way. Um, he just sort of appears. And I feel like that itself is is just like he doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know what's going on. They're just kind of wandering through life. And she's clinging to these rules and these these structures to make herself feel like there's, uh, you know, a, a structure to everything, you know. Right. And um, and then when he comes back, it's like everything's good. And then when he and then he leaves again and it's and then she, her first response to that is you just don't want to be with me. And um, I think that that's sort of those moments where you really see inside of her what she's really dealing with, you know, where she's thinking, mm-hmm. you know, yes, he's got off to the war because he was a he's a hero and he's really, you know, a patriot. But then there's part of it that says maybe he left because he just didn't want to be with me. Right. Um, and that's that kind of guilt that shouldn't be there is probably debilitating and um, would make someone who has been raised in a way to only lean on the legalistic side of things to really cling to those things, which makes you then view her in a sympathetic lens. Cause you're like, well, this is why she is the way she is, you know? Right. Yeah. She, cause she, like I, like we said earlier, she's just like clinging to all the things that she thinks she's supposed to do. And they're mm-hmm. not, she's not getting the outcome that she feels like she should based on how, how how well and how strictly she's following the rules. Um, I I love the addition. Like we didn't talk about this too much, although you talked about it in your plot synopsis. It's such a cool addition to the story that Nicole Kidman says that her kids have this hypersensitivity to light because she talks about how you have to unlock a door to go in and then relock it immediately, and you can't ever unlock the next door until the previous door is locked and she compares it to being on a ship and thinking of the light as water Mm. and not only is that a cool visual but it it gives you so many it like obviously speaks to her need to like follow rules and have everything very be very structured but it creates some really tense moments where like one of her kids is locked in a room by themselves because she's not in there right now and she has to like find the key to go help them or when a room she gets locked inside of a room at one point it's just like it creates all these wonderful moments of tension along with just being a cool plot device absolutely and you know what Uh, this okay humor me for a minute but i (laughs) i read this movie and i i always question like did they ever have that disease at all Mm -hmm. because Part of me feels like looking at her character, like she is so into structure and she her life has been so much randomness and turmoil with a war, you know, and then like we like we learned from the other podcasts, like there's the Nazi party is going to come take over your island and potentially your home and then your husband leaves. There's all these things happening where she feels very much isolated. So I feel like there's part of her that would be like, I need to keep my kids corralled. I need to keep them in one spot at all times. Mm -hmm. I don't want people looking in. 
Um, I, part of me ever wonders if that was real because the kids never really say anything about what it was like when they had it. It's just they were they just say like we can't do that. We can't go out in the light, but they don't really have any remember any memories of that harming them that I that I saw. I could have completely missed it. Um, no, yeah, we like we see them. Uh, the daughter screams when the curtains are gone. But but I, I I have the same read as you where I don't necessarily believe that they ever had that photosensitivity. Yeah. And to me, when when we see her scream, it's like that could just as likely happen just because her mom's always told her that the sunlight will burn her. Mm-hmm. Um, and a part of me, I'm sure someone has someone smarter than I or who has seen this movie more than I has probably thought about this, but it does feel like that must. And I wonder if it ends up being an allegory for something else, because you have that sequence where Mrs. Mills is sort of like, even if that used to be the case, it might not be now, which either means that they did, maybe they did have it. And now that they're dead, they don't. But I also wonder if it has more to do with like in the light of day, she might, like remember what she did or it might become clear to her that her kids are dead or something like it feels more like a denial of acknowledging what she did and like needing to live in a sort of like half dream world where everything is the way it used to be yeah that's i agree with that i think mrs mills really much really plays that sort of like she really is the truth like with a capital t like that's mm-hmm. that, that's really what she represents because she's very like calm and she she approaches every conversation with like here's what's going on it's okay like i, I always feel like a very sort of like motherly but what i want better way i would say is just more of like a empathetic approach to things so mm-hmm. Even when she's saying that speech to her about maybe the kids don't have that anymore, I almost feel like she's not even acknowledging that it ever existed. It's sort of like, hey, it's okay. Everything's right. fine. Like, you just have to accept what's going on. You know, like, I feel like she's constantly trying to break down those legalistic barriers that's around Nicole. Like, mm-hmm. that's her whole role in the movie is to eventually get her to realize you are dead. And right. you are now, but you're still home and it's still okay. And so um, I, I, I always feel like those scenes where she, you know, really tries to talk Nicole down. It's like her trying to give her that feel that's that that support, the emotional support of like, it's OK. You don't have to carry the weight of the world and the weight the society has put onto you as a woman. Just take mm-hmm. it off and mm-hmm. just you're OK now. You don't have to worry about what happened before because it's not it doesn't matter anymore. Here's what I want to know. Did you ever watch that TV show on CBS, Harper's Island? Oh, gosh. I probably did. It sounds really familiar. It was like a, a mini one-season slasher miniseries that took place on an island off the coast of Washington State, like where a bunch of people go to this island for a wedding. And does this sound familiar? If you haven't watched it, I'm going to take a short moment to plug Harper's Island because I love it. Uh, I was on it. I'm, I am a co-host of a different podcast called Behold an Electric Terror where we actually covered Harper's Island and all of my co-hosts hated it and they have never let me forget it. But I say lovingly that they were all completely wrong. Um, sure. But the actress that plays Lydia, Elaine Cassidy, is one of the leads in Harper's Island and I had forgotten she was in this movie and I got so excited. That's and awesome. Like, she's a mute, so she has no lines, but it was still exciting to see her. 
I feel like maybe now that you're saying that, I think I that sounds familiar because you've told me about the show before. I mean, you you have to watch it. It's bonkers. I uh, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I wonder if it's on CBS All Access because I am pretty oh. sure they're the network that had it. But if okay. not, um, our dear mutual friend Andrew currently has. I own the entire series on DVD, but he has it in <laughs> Canada, so we'll have to wait until post quarantine to get it to you. Oh um, my gosh, I'll look. I'll look for it because I yeah, you're saying this now, and I'm remembering you told me you told me about this years ago, and I was like, oh, I need to watch that. And then I don't think streaming was a thing at the time. So yeah, well, um, if you, I think it's on. It might all be on Amazon Prime now. I, if I'm remembering, the reason I mailed it to Andrew is because it's not on Prime in Canada, but it is on Prime here. So I okay. mailed him my DVDs because I could watch it online. Anyway, gotcha. If you do watch it at some point. We should cover it on the show because Hannah and I both love Harper's Island. Oh, I'm stoked. Okay, I definitely um, will look for it now because I'm glad you brought this up because I remember you've told me about this and I was like, oh, I need to watch that. And I always forget to write things down. So, like, I literally just wrote this down. So, I will I will definitely <laughs> well, check it out. Yeah, I would be interested to see what you think because I, I – like – uh, if you you and I have had conversations about like the relative success of trying to make a slasher into a miniseries because it's just a long time to sort of like mm-hmm. maintain the tension and the mystery. And for my money, Harper's Island is the best version of that that's ever been made. And I know that all of my Behold and Let Your Terror co-hosts are listening to this and screaming because they hated it. But um, <laughs> but I think it's great. And, and it'll have, like, some character actors that you'll recognize, and I think that's fun. Um, Love it. I also, like, I'm looking at my notes to see if there's anything I forgot to say, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to say, Evan, Cowardly Custard is such a fucking burn. <laughs> I'm going to start calling everyone a Cowardly Custard. It's so mean. You know what's terrible? That's so, yeah. That was, I forgot about that, and I was like, I had like a weird muscle memory when she was calling him that. I was like, oh my god, I remember that. Like, that was, that kind of cut to the core. Even though she wasn't talking to me, I was like, I felt that. I felt like she was looking at me when she said it. Yeah, it like, it's one of those, it's one of those insults where it, fe- it at first you're like, this makes no sense. But then you think about it and it's like custard is like so pale and jiggly and like it just like trembles. And yep. I was like, oh, man, that is like the most savage thing you could have said to someone in like 1930. And it yep. does feel super personal. It does. It's a historical burn. Like The more you think about it, the more you're like, wow, that hits close. <laughs> like, ooh, that hurts. Yeah, it really does. Um, I, I want to say really quick, and this is super not appropriate for our super deep discussion we've been having. The one thing I will say is that I, unfortunately, every time I see the scene where Nicole is looking at her daughter in that like wedding dress, uh-huh. I, th- I think of Scary Movie. I know movie. exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> yes. I think of Michael Jackson under that dress for Scary Movie, and it's just, I have to not do that. Well, that just speaks to, like, the... I had forgotten. I saw all of the Scary Movie movies when they came out, but I didn't Mm -hmm. actually watch Scary Movies then. So I feel like my understanding... I've not rewatched any of them. I really should. But my understanding of a lot of those references were just from, like, broader pop culture. And I didn't remember that but watching this movie i was like i feel like i remember this scene more than all the other scenes and then i read on the wikipedia about the scene in in scary movie 3 i was like oh yeah okay i remember that now that's like that's why i remember that scene so much i have a like i have a very like strong guilty pleasure for scary movie 3 specifically um 
it covers movies that I don't even really like that much, but it's just the it makes me laugh so hard. And I love Anna Ferris, so like Oh, me too. I you know, love like, her so much. Oh, her podcast is amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I that movie has I've watched that so much since like it came out when I was in high school. And so like all those scenes, unfortunately, that they make fun of are sort of burned into my memory as mm-hmm. the scary movie version. So yeah. Can I just say that, like, uh, this is super off topic, but, uh, like, Chris Pratt kind of died for me when he left Anna Ferris. Oh, I yeah. I was like, oh, like, you got hot and you feel like you're too good for, like, one of the most beautiful, hilarious people in the world. Sorry. Yep, yep. You know what? <laughs> well, plus I could... he became, like, scary Christian, too, so it's yeah. like, ugh. I have very strong feelings about that topic, so I will leave it alone for now. We can have a whole other episode (laughs) where we talk about their relationship. (laughs) Perfect. We'll have to wait for Hannah to be back because she'll be so angry if we talk about that without her. That's fair. That's Um, fair. Yeah, I was – one of the things I read in doing research for this episode – so this was one of the highest grossing horror films of all time, and at least according to the IMDb trivia, Nicole Kidman actually quit while they were rehearsing because – the subject matter and like getting into the role was giving her such severe nightmares that she quit the movie for a short period of time. Wow. Um, which I think again, like speaks to how powerful her performance is, but also how well written her character is. But because this movie was so successful, um, as of April of this year, the rights to this movie have been sold to an LA based company to make a remake. And they've been talking about doing like an updated modern remake of this movie, which makes me so angry that I can't, Mm. I don't have words for how angry that makes me. I feel like, yeah, it's going to be like, let's take all the subtext out and like, let's just make it like spooky, scary with, you know, like a lot of sounds, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not excited. That makes me sad. Yeah. Too. It just feels like, and like, I feel like you and I have had this discussion about other movies and I feel like Hannah and I have talked about this in general with the culture of remaking movies that were successful. It's like, first of all, um, it just feels really, it makes me sad for, um, appreciators of film and audiences who come after us if they don't know i mean i know that that's happened with me right where i've watched a movie from like the 80s and didn't know there was a version from the 40s or something like that Mm. but i feel like a unless you have something really interesting to do or say with a movie the idea of just kind of carte blanche remaking it really bums me out because you you are stealing some of the like beauty and credibility from the original. I mean, I feel this way, especially about um, American horror movies that are like, yeah, this foreign language horror film was really great, but Americans aren't going to read subtitles. So I'm just going to remake it like a shot for shot remake in English and like completely ruin it is a thing that I get really angry about. Um, Oh yeah. And so I just like, I, in reading this news yesterday about them remaking the others, it's like, this is a beautiful movie that, is A, not that old, and B, like, ages phenomenally. If you told me it was made last year, I would believe you. So I just don't know why there's any need to do it again. I agree. Yeah. It, yeah. When I was watching it last night, I was thinking like, is this going to seem cheesy now? Like I, it's been so long since I've seen it, but I agree with you. I felt like this still hits. It's still good. You know, like it doesn't scare me, but most things don't. And that's just my thing. Mm-hmm. So, but I could see like it was crafted in a way that could creep people out and not in like the modern sensibility, which is just usually like silent, silent slam, loud noise. Right. You know, that like kind of thing. really loud jump scare. Yeah. Right. I watched this movie because I had seen it already a couple times I, and I was like on a 
crunched schedule yesterday. I rewatched this movie during the day while I was working and I still had points where I had to like pause it and get up and walk around because I was like freaking myself out. Oh um, yeah. Like even knowing the twist that was coming, I, like I think th- that that speaks to how, uh, like you were saying, how well crafted and effective the movie is. That like even if you've seen it, I think this movie stands up really well to rewatching. And um, yeah, we're we're on record now as uh, anti remake for this movie. Oh, it's true. Yeah, you know, and I, I'll say like I've been pretty down on remakes. I don't actually don't even know how you feel about this movie, but um, I I had I've had like a transformative experience with the Suspiria remake because mm. I was very much against the idea of a remake um, because I just thought like it's gonna be I was really going in with the mindset of like it's gonna have those modern sensibilities that I don't like, um, and then I saw it and I thought that was interesting. I don't really know how I feel about it, and then I watched it again and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think a lot of it helped too because I listened to the director's commentary and a big thing he kept saying was like I wasn't trying to remake the movie I was trying to remake how the movie made me feel yeah and I was like oh my god that's so good like that that's how we should be remaking things like from a fan who makes a movie they shouldn't just like well here it is but how I would do it it's like how did that story make you feel now put that in a different context and I feel like right. you can still capture that original feeling but give it a completely different tone and and subtext like that i feel like that movie has so much more about um religion and femininity um Mm -hmm. and how those two interact and i just i was kind of blown away by it but the first time i went in i was just like oh this is gonna suck yeah i mean i'm with you where i'm really into the idea of remakes where it's very clear that the the creatives behind it like really love and understand the original text and they want to do something different with it like explore a different topic or sort of like highlight a different theme like i'm very into that what i'm what i'm against what i think we're on the same page about is like i'm just against really cynical remakes that are like this movie was good and so we want to remake it or like you know hannah and i covered the innocence Mm. um which was recently remade as the turning which we are going to cover eventually but we've both been like avoiding it because we don't want to watch it um sure yeah but like it just feels like a sense where like the innocence is such and the turn of the screw that it's based on are such scary tense stories and it just feels like production teams being like well people don't know about the original or they're not going to watch it because it's black and white so let's just basically redo the same thing with like cgi and jump scares which i just like have no tolerance for no i'm with you 100 percent um so as we get to the end of our discussion uh hannah and i usually rate the movie on a scale of one to five bloody marys now i feel like nicole kidman would be really against this rating system but it is Mm. our patented process and so evan out of five bloody marys how many would you give the others i think like post third act nicole is on our side now on the bloody mary i think she's lightened up maybe i think she could i think honestly she could use one and she would have it she could she could chill yeah she could hang for sure (laughs) she she passes the vibe check i think at that point um i would give it a four out of five personally solid i think i'm right there with you i think i would give it four bloody marys with like one piece of whatever like weird soup they were having out of or like one bowl of that weird soup that they're like yep. drinking at the beginning absolutely um, i don't know what it was or whether or not it would pair with bloody mary's but let's just call that in a four and a half i'm into it i'm i'll 
I'll rectify my score to match yours. <laughs> well, I don't want to pressure you. No, it's not pressure at all. You just you said it, and I was like, this is the truth. So I must <laughs> comply, you know? <laughs> um, well, typically, listeners, we do uh, in Ladyer News at the end of the episode, and we usually talk about something that uh, is going on in the news right now. And as everyone knows, especially during the pandemic, we've sort of stretched that a little bit. And so because of the conversation that Evan and I had off air, um, I thought it would be appropriate if we could just like briefly plug uh, a recent HBO docuseries, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which I think really beautifully highlights um, true crime and sort of like what an interest or obsession with true crime can do to the people who lived it or live it vicariously by following it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Sophie and I talked about this uh, off air and we're just kind of gushing about it. Um, it's not only a great documentary, but obviously like the book that it's based off of, Michelle McNamara's book of the mm-hmm. same name is is brilliant. Um, I remember when it came out, I, I bought the physical and the audio version and I listened to the audio version when I would drive to work and I, it like freaked me out, it creeped me out, um, but it was also just so beautifully written. Um, and like I said to Sophie, I, this is sort of like where I'll leave it with my feelings on it is um, in the docuseries, there's a, there's a period where they uh, read this letter that Michelle wrote addressing the killer himself. And this is before he was found. Um, and it's very, very, uh, it's just so beautifully written. It's very gothic. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like she becomes... There's, you know, the the idea of this killer that's been rampant for decades, that's never been caught, that has just destroyed so many people's lives and has just evaded um, the light, you know. Um, she, that, that, and this is a person that, that has so much power, you know, sort of like spiritual almost. Like he leaves people in fear and just, mm-hmm. just terrorize people. I feel like the way that she wrote that, she becomes herself just as powerful as that idea, Um you know, she goes to tango with with him in that letter, and it's just so beautifully written. And when they when they address that in the docu series, I don't really want to like spoil how they do it, but I just thought it was so beautiful. It was such a it was such a send up for her and respectful way to 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 honor her and the work that she did um, to find this person. And I just was like so touched by that more than I thought I would be. Uh, but yeah. I just was like, wow, that was so beautiful. Anyway, I could go on and on, so I'll just leave it at that. No, I think that's a that is a beautiful sort of like summation of because that speaks so much to what makes the docuseries as a whole really effective. Um, We talked a little bit uh, in our conversation earlier about a thing I appreciated about this. Uh, Evan and I are both people who appreciate true crime. And I certainly, um, most listeners of the podcast know that I also work in uh, a criminal justice uh, centered job, but I work with men who are on death row and have committed murder. And so I think a lot of my coworkers, especially, like don't understand how I can do the work I do and also um, engage in true crime spheres because true crime so often is like a really dehumanizing thing, not only to perpetrators but also to victims. Like often mm-hmm. victims just sort of get like forgotten or bulldozed by the story or the legacy of the person who harmed them, and I really loved this docuseries so much because it really focuses on much in the way that Michelle McNamara's book does 
the story that this documentary is telling is so much more about the people, the families of the victims and the victims who are harmed by uh, the Golden State Killer. But, you know, later in the series, they talk to people who were in his family and who for whom he was like an important part of their life. And they obviously talk about Michelle McNamara and the work that she did on this case and some of the police officers who and the detectives that just like were not able to ever find closure. And I think they are able in six episodes in telling the story of one one perpetrator they are able to sort of like highlight all of these different spheres of people who are harmed when someone commits a crime um, and sort of like the ripple effect that that harm has. And I don't think they intentionally, I don't think this was their intention, but I'm, I'm very interested in restorative justice and the idea that like when a harm is done, the system that we have in America is very punitive. And that in a lot of ways, those punitive measures don't help, don't always help victims and their families to heal and, and don't always take into account what victims want. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was such a powerful documentary because I think it allows all of the victims who are a part of it, who opted to be a part of it, to sort of like reclaim their narrative and decide how they want their life to be contextualized so that they're not just being contextualized as the victim of this person who did a horrible thing. Um and I just found it like incredibly moving and it's, you know, it centers a lot of women who have suffered sexual abuse and all kinds of other violence. And I just think it was an incredibly powerful piece of media that um, even if you don't necessarily uh, find yourself being someone who like seeks out true crime media, I think it's definitely worth uh, engaging with either way. I agree. Yeah. If you're just someone who appreciates, you know, good storytelling and good writing too, it's, it's a story about a great writer as well. So yep. um, you, you will, I think you'll learn a lot. So I, yeah, definitely agree. It's definitely worth checking out. Now, Evan, this is your first time, but definitely not your last on the podcast, but I assume <laughs> oh, that everyone listening right now has fallen as in love with you as I am. So can you please share where on the internet people can find you? Well, sheesh, that was so nice. Um, I'm not the best at taking compliments. Um, I love you too, Sophie, very much. Um, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, you don't have to deflect the compliment, though. You're just no, great. but I I think it's always good to do it because some people are like, thanks. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, you can. I, so I'm on Twitter, just at Evan Sleed um, is my full name. Um, and you yeah. have a blue check mark. I have a blue check mark because I used to work in entertainment and it's super annoying. Um, anyway, uh, I don't know why I have it still to this day. Um, but um, yeah, so I talk about lots of random stuff on there. So if you ever want to chat, I'm very friendly. I hope I try to be. Um, and then um, I have um, the main podcast I still do is called Pod Slash, and which is one Sophie will definitely be on. And um, would highly it, recommend that podcast, listeners. Oh, it's it's my friend Adam and I. He's very fun. Um, we love talking about horror movies, much like Sophie does, and. Um, it's we're just kind of you know doing our own thing um we just did get out and we had an amazing conversation like so good it was so like rewarding and just it was very cathartic actually um and so if you're interested in that it's it's very much about what we're going through right now as a nation and we just had a really fun time talking about it um anyway uh and then other than that you know like i'm i'm a teacher so i don't you know have anything cool otherwise to share just you know make sure to be nice to other teachers and people that work in 
um, as public servants, um, you know, hold them accountable, but also treat them kindly. That's Especially all. That, right now thing. when lots of teachers are, including yourself, are in positions where they might be forced to go back into teaching in person when that doesn't feel safe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say a good thing to think about when you look at a public servant is to think about what they're asked to do versus mm-hmm. and how much they're paid and all those things. So when I say, like, you know, treat them with kindness, I mean that for everybody. When I say treat, uh, you know, hold them to a higher standard, treat, I mean that for everybody. But when I say, um, you know, um, look at where they're coming from um, and understand that they have their hands tied sometimes, I'm not talking about cops. So um, I think that they need to be held to an even higher standard. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't have people's lives at my hands. So, yeah. Um, yeah, before anyone thinks, like, well, anyway, sorry, I could go on and on about that. No, I I, I'm, I, I appreciate that. This is, uh, I'm going to make this statement while Hannah's not here, although I feel confident she would co-sign it. Uh, 28 Days Later is not a police apologist podcast, and yep. if you feel conflicted about that, you should listen to Behind the Police, and also um, everyone should uh, defund the police, because yep. fuck that shit. Yep, there's so <laughs> many people that are very qualified to do amazing things to help people, and uh, we should not be leaving that up to one person who does not have the training to do so. Correct. Just beautiful. Thank you, Evan. Um, sure. Dear listeners, I know you can tell the episode's coming to an end and you're devastated that you won't get to hear Evan's voice, but I promise we'll have him <laughs> back on soon. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter. We are at 28 days underscore ladyer. Nope. We are at 28 days lady underscore ER. It's like I don't know my own Twitter handle. I do the same thing. Don't worry about it. Um, I mean, full disclosure, I drank an entire half bottle of champagne with orange juice getting ready for this podcast. So I feel like I've held it together. Really Hell yeah, now. that's impressive. Wow. Um, and you can email us. We are 28 days later at gmail.com. Uh, now, typically, Hannah would be here and she would give us a toast and then we would cheers. So Evan, I want to remind the listeners to always pee after sex. <laughs> That's good. Clink. Clink. Great.